ladies and gentlemen, pimps. Welcome one, welcome all to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast Extravaganza episode 196. Holy cow. We're just about four hours or four episodes away from the drunk cast extravaganza, everybody. And oh my gosh, Hachi freaking Machi, the chief, the leader. Alfie Coleshaw has been showing us old clips of previous drunk cast. Whoo, man, those were a hoot and a freaking holler. So we're hoping that episode 200 is the craziest yet. So look forward to that. Um, but in the meantime, this this is a freaking business, folks. We have we got shit we got to do first um, before we get to partying. So to help me in doing so, first of all, is the man, the myth, the legend, with a versatile name, Rob Bob Bertha, the man that I still like to call the Seagull. <laughs> I don't know. Seagull boy, oh, how are you? Oh, God. It's always got to be something to do with the opode, isn't it? But, um, yeah, I'll claim it. I'll claim it. Um, I'm a happy seagull today. 2-0 uh, win yesterday. Uh, pr- pretty relaxed, even though, apart from, like, one scare pretty much in the match. We'll, we'll get into more detail later. But, uh, yeah, it was very relaxed outing. Uh, all eyes on the drunk cast, of course, here at um, Arsenal Cannon Podcast HQ. Uh, Alfie has just been relentlessly putting in clips, which <laughs> I just can't bear to listen to because it, it's just so awful listening back to it for me. Um, but if, if you do want to go and, and have a laugh at uh, me being just unironically hilarious, uh, do go listen back to... All the sort of 40 to 50 episodes, all of those early drunk casts, they were good ones. So, yeah, do go listen back. Absolutely. And, you know, you don't realize because, you know, he's a funny guy. He's a good kid. But, man, when you listen back to those drunk casts, when Rob has a couple of drinks and I'm just kind of fucking hilarious, man. He's so damn funny. Um, so, Chess, here's a go check him out. He, man, he is, a, he is a riot. And it is funny, too, to listen to, like, the old arsenal content as well because just to see like how far we've come and everything um because obviously on the next drunk cast we're going to be you know champions league and premier league winners yeah, um, the, the, the like little things we yeah. that used to fill us with so much happiness <laughs> and that would be seen as dude dude Albami ain't got the golden boot <laughs> that was so sad bro it was so sad uh speaking of sad mac johnson that was <laughs> I was too nice to you last week, man. I gotta hit you now. Um, That's he is, okay. he is he is the celebrity. Yeah, yep. The celebrity's here. Uh, was just complaining about his gray hair, and I said to him, "Well, at least you have it, Mac. How are you?" I am. I'm doing all right. You know, I'm having a good time. Uh, it, it, I want to reflect on the drunk cast as well. Now that it's you know looming, um, and. It's always fun looking back, but uh, Alf has been sending a lot of clips. He'll be glad to know if and when he listens to this that I've listened to like maybe two of them out of probably the 30 that he sent. Uh, and part of that is just because I've, you know, they're, they're so entrenched in my brain. Um, but if you do want some highlights, I think in, in the past, you know, it's been a lot of Daniel and Alfie playing their characters and Rob will often start as more of the straight-laced one um and there's a kind of a distinct change when i enter drunk casts because i was very much the one trying to keep things on the straight and narrow a few of us went a little you know a little wild but as this podcast has grown and become a little more professional and a little more structured i think we've we've refined our craft 
but I'm I'm looking forward to a drunk cast where we can really just step up and 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 let loose a little bit with number two hundred. I'm I'm hoping it'll be an all timer in terms of moments and clips and general hilarity because we haven't really like we just haven't had a, a a laughing my ass off podcast in a while and i'm i'm looking forward to that with you boys i really am other than that um i was delightful it, it was delightful i was delighted to have beaten uh brighton which is not something we managed to do last season in the same fixture um lots to talk about and uh yeah happy to happy to crack on Great through ball, Mac Johnson. Um, yeah, that really was. Um, before we a... move on, before we move sure, on, sure. what's up, man? This is this is a call to one of our loyal fans, a comp maker among you, to make a, oh? a drunk cast comp. Uh, I need I need to see it. <laughs> Someone needs to pull it together. All the best moments. Uh, you know, Rob Worthington, ten out of ten performance. Drunk cast, drunk cast two, something like that. You know, something like you've seen, like the Declan Rice comps you might have seen on Twitter. You need a Rob Worthington version of that from the podcasting world. I, I, I'm just I, I like it. And if if by any chance you are a loyal listener and have some video editing skills, I think doing a like I had the thought of making like a stick figure animation for our drunk casts. <laughs> just of all the best bits and i just <laughs> i don't whether it's just like you so know, you I, mean of of rob puking in a drawer as well that would to. that that would be part of it um but there are there are multiple elements and multiple lines and i don't know i let the record I, state rob did in fact puke in a drawer we listen if that's not on everyone's bingo card come episode 200 i mean we reference it like once every five shows regardless <laughs> i think I think it's something of a gimme. Um, but yeah, anywho, I just, if, if you have talents in any of those areas and are willing to listen to hours upon hours of us drinking and being silly, then uh, extend us your services and we will pay you handsomely for what we have, which is not much. But yeah, we'll, we'll pay you. <laughs> we'll pay you well. Right. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, okay. Well, hey, I'll tell you what, boys. Let's get freaking serious now. Let's pull up the bootstraps and finish our dinner. Because right now, we're starting this podcast in the way that Arsenal started the game against Brighton. We've got a lot of possession, a lot of threat. We're threatening to talk about Arsenal a lot, but we're not just putting the ball into the back of the damn net. Um, Rob, let's crack along it uh, with it, my man. Um, coming into this one, I was weirdly confident. I honestly don't know why. I, I think it's just because of how defensively resolute we've been this season. But it's just bright and have to be. I, I struggle to think of another team in this league more tricky than them because they are just so hot or so freaking cold. And I think against us, they were pretty lukewarm. To be honest, um, they looked like they were really trying to take their risk, playing it out from the back. The way we were pressing throughout the entirety of the first half really had me impressed. I haven't seen uh, us pressing with that sort of vigor really all season. Um, but they didn't do anything, right? And they didn't do anything at all. We completely nullified their threat altogether. Um, I'm sure it really frustrated Deserby to see his team, you know, just get completely shot down to zero, basically. 
but it wasn't all smooth sailing. Um, so just walk me through a little bit about um, the way uh, you felt the first half went, and then we'll get into the more uh, structured part of the show with the whole uh, explosive, explosive moment and, and all that. But just I kind of wanted to get each of your thoughts of this game because it was a weird one, you know? Yeah, it was quite a strange uh, in that in the insofar as a lot of Arsenal football matches sort of pan out like this, in that we we just control the shit out of it, uh, and but you often find yourself a bit lost in these matches and sort of wondering what's going on, and perhaps worrying a little bit because, like uh, I know you've said a lot this season, Dan, uh, these these sort of small margins that we lead by in games, they're they're dangerous margins to lead by, and that's what we saw yesterday, but. Um, in general, in terms of performance, uh, you, like I say, rarely, you you just don't, you don't see what Arsenal did to Brighton happen. You don't. It's the way that we were able to just completely kill any threat that they would be able to offer was, was so impressive. Um, you know, they came to the Emirates last season and they pressed us really well um caused us problems this this term uh we've got this wonderful big bloke up front who means that when we're getting pressed the hell out of us guess what we can we can boot it forward to him and it's not just that we can hit it to him the uh is is useful in that he can bring it down i'm obviously talking about kai Havertz. the fact he's there pulls defenders away creates room for the likes of Saka and Martinelli, who, although were inefficient in front of goal, both had sort of field days in terms of finding the space to operate in and drive with the ball. Um, yeah, just a, such an impressive performance if, if we're just looking at both the off-the-ball work and how we pressed and the way that we navigated what what has been one of the best presses in the league from Brighton since Deserbi's joined them. So, yeah, um, in in the moment, it was a bit difficult to appreciate how good it was just because the, the lead was so slender. But upon reflection, we, we were just excellent. And it's not the sort of game I, I was expecting, really. Yeah, Mac, I think there's been a lot of games like it this season where... It's been one of those ma- the, the, there's been a lot of matches where in the moment they feel very high stress and very nervy but then if you do that that thing that actual analysts do we don't do this here at the Arsenal Cannon podcast because we're we just are too lazy um and you go watch the game back after you know what the result is going to be you do a rewatch um one nerd in our company does it by the name of Alfie Colshaw but if you do that, you could really tell that, oh, yeah, no, we were not really under any threat at all. We just had total control. Um, and, and for me personally, that lends into my good stuff. That's what my good stuff was going to be, just the total domination of it all, um, along with Declan Rice, which we'll get into a little bit later. But, yeah, just the way we're dominating these games is is why, um, like I was telling you in the PPC pre-pod call, you may not say that or we will sue you, um, why I believe that we have genuinely a far better chance this season of winning the league and why we actually are in with the shout of having a very good run in the champions league. This total domination from, uh, from, you know, that's being forced by Mikel Arteta, I think has really just taken us to another level, man. I think this is probably at this moment in time, 
this is one of the best Arsenal Football Club has probably ever been, man. I mean, we just look absolutely unreal. Yeah. And, you know, first of all, I want to say I agree with all you've said. Um, the performance against Brighton was particularly fascinating to me. Um, we've seen that Brighton are one of the most dynamic teams in the league in general in terms of, you know, throwing different looks and escaping high presses and, you know, really bringing opponents onto them. Essentially, they are arguably the best team in the league at playing through lines and on nullifying, you know, opposition's out-of-possession structures. And it was interesting, I think, the way that we handled it. Um, I'm going to talk about a few specific moments. We, our center backs were often very high. One key aspect of bringing, of, of Brighton's kind of press-breaking structures is that they will typically operate with one or two center forwards or players kind of up in that line of attack who they will constantly shoot deep to bring, you know, deep runners and allow cycle play and make sure that they have an extra man in spare situations just to lay off or to turn and play up the field or to bring the wide players into the game. And our center backs were often diving up into the heart of the midfield of, you know, the heart of our kind of mid block to track strikers. And it really emphasized in my mind how much of kind of the key to our out of possession structures are those person to person engagements in the back with Saliba and Gabrielle, both of whom are monstrous in one-on-one -on -one duels and Declan Rice, who is genuinely unbeatable. Um, I saw this tweet, and this may be a Rob Worthington special, if I remember correctly, that about two or three times a game, someone will receive their ball, will receive the ball kind of with their back to goal and Declan Rice pressuring, and he'll just like fold himself around a player and win a challenge almost every time, and it's just flawless. Um, I think that might have been from Rob. I don't know. It was from one of my favorite Twitter accounts. That was a Rob Worthington liked tweet. I can't it remember was, yeah. who tweeted it. I'll go and that find it, it in a sec. Yes. Um, well, thank you for, you know, admitting. Yeah, I, there was something with you in it. Um, regardless, though, I think it's a different system to how we normally manage ourselves. I think we tend to be pretty conservative with our center backs, kind of have them patrolling and really looking to sweep up loose balls as, you know, we press higher with our midfield and kind of try to trap teams in a more conventional way. And to really see Brighton who have been you know, readily nullified this season by teams like West Ham who sit deep and essentially don't try to get baited by the press, don't step high, don't play in an aggressive manner. To see us nullify Brighton while doing the one thing that their system is designed to break was unbelievably confidence-inducing. Um, the levels of, I mean, it's a random example, but there was a Leicester game, not last season, but the season beforehand, where we had in that first half, it was probably the best first half of football I've seen from us, you know, until this Brighton game might have been lackadaisical and a bit dull in terms of the finishes, but just in terms of the pure ability to suffocate and to nullify and to eliminate any danger from the opposition, um, we are doing it at levels that I think even Manchester City at their best struggled to achieve. And this is one specific instance. It's a tiny sample size. But, you know, with a very strong team, this is what we can do. Uh, so, yeah, 100% agreed. And I'm glad I kind of, you know, I wanted to get a little bit more insight in there because that was one of my 
big takeaways from the match. Um, and I also think we just played with confidence and we played with aggression and we played with kind of the belief that we were going to win the match, but without the kind of inherent arrogance that comes with being a favorite. And that I think is a balance that our team has struggled to strike in recent weeks. But you know, that that's probably one big element of my good stuff is just the, the constant graft and commitment in both in and out of possession to constantly changing things and finding new solutions and developing our way into the match. It just felt, you know, dominant for a different reason, I suppose. Like the Villa match is different. We dominated possession. We created more chances. We did all of this. But at the same time, we didn't necessarily have that stranglehold. They always had an outball and they always had a chance. And I think even when we were kind of defending deep and setting a low block and, you know, really trying to stuff Brighton in that regard, it just, we didn't really set a foot wrong apart from that one Pascal Gross chance that I'm sure we'll get onto. So, yeah, all things considered, um, just a wonderful victory. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Was there any other uh, good stuff that you wanted to touch on other than just the, the total domination? I mean, Mac? Sure. Um, it's small, but I want to really touch on Gabriel Jesus's goal. Um, he's come out and, re- you know, he did an interview about a week ago and kind of basically said, listen, I know I'm not the world's greatest finisher. I That's not like my strongest element of my game. I'm really just trying to be the best team player and do the best for the squad that I can. But, you know, you see a statistic that seem, might seem meaningless originally, that Gabriel Jesus has never lost a Premier League game that he's scored in, um, which, oh yeah, which, you know, wouldn't sound, ordinarily sound that crazy. Sure, he might have played like 10, he might have scored in 10 games and they've won them all, whatever. Until you realize he's won 54 of 58, drawn four, lost nothing. Um, which is that is a mind, wild, wild. It's, stuff, it's, it's mind blowing, and you know, to uh, I think really there are just moments where when he is playing with confidence, he makes our entire team tick. Um, I thought the Inketia sub was actually really deserved. I thought Inketia suited the game state well, but I do want to give Jesus his flowers. His first touch, honestly, is normally his greatest asset. I thought it let him down at a lot of points in the match. It wasn't his greatest game, but. He broke the deadlock and he kind of gave us that little extra boost to go on and to continue and win the game in the way that we did. Really, it's imperative whether you're dominating possession or as far behind as you can be. It's imperative to get the first goal in order to establish yourselves on a game. And I just want to give him credit for doing that because it really just set us up to go and continue to play the way we wanted to. Yeah, no, no, I, I honestly, I couldn't agree more, and I'm not sure I have anything else I could really add. I mean, he is always going to be such a divisive figure, Jesus, but, you know, it's it's goals like that, and it's just general performances that we've seen this season that show us that Gabriel Jesus is really just such a fantastically gifted and, and world-class player. I mean, look, he could score more goals. We all know it, and we all wish he would, but at the end of the day... It's. I think it's just a fair trade-off when you see just how great he is at the other stuff. Um, so so I, I think that's great to hear. Um, Rob, I didn't let you say any good stuff, my man, and, and there's plenty of it from this match. So, so feel free to fire away, my guy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I want to agree with a, a lot of, of the stuff Max said. I just think the way that we were 
able to kill off the the things that Brighton have been just so good at uh, since Deserbi's joined them was was so so impressive. And then just adding to the Jesus chat, you know, there's a lot of conversation about how clinical he is in front of goal and. You know, considering how much football he has missed this season, seven goals across the Champions League and Premier League, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, we're in the midst of a of a tough, tough period in the Premier League. Uh, hopefully he can get a few more in the Premier League, get him up towards, you know, he, he should be our top scorer. We need to I've, I've been seeing a lot of sort of conversation on Twitter and maybe this will feed into our concerns. A lot of people want someone to stand up and be our be our talisman. Uh, I think it looked like at the start of the season, Saka, you know, he wasn't playing that well, but was still getting the goals. It looked like it was going to be him. And he is our talismanic figure, but, you know, he's, he's not scored bags of goals this season. There is a space to be filled in that regard. And... Jesus should be aiming to to fill that void and, and really gun us towards the the title that we want and and be that man who can score regularly. Uh, you know he is a man who's sort of like entering and in his prime now. So yeah, it's a real opportunity for to him to start to add a few more goals. With that said, um, it was a, a very Gabriel Jesusy performance, but uh, my good stuff is going to feed into his goal. Uh, even though he did miss other chances, just because I think for a few weeks we were sort of lamenting the fact that all our goals were either coming from, you know, screamers from outside the box or corners. Um, I think it's time to look for look at it from a different perspective and be like, uh, yeah, we're scoring a lot of goals from corners and it's a very good thing. Uh, we have become... Serial corner kick converters. I'm going to put it that way. Um, we, you know, we are such a threat from set pieces. That's what happens when you replace someone like Granite Shaka, who's not really a threat from set pieces. I mean, you know, actually taking them, he was good at that, but in the box, he wasn't really a box threat. And you add someone like Kai Havertz, and it's another some another person for the opposition to be worried about in the box. It's what you get when you play three centre backs on the pitch because it's three centre backs attacking the ball. And then you've got a man who, you know what? I've missed him attacking that space at the back post. It was trademark Jesus when he joined, when he first joined the club. He was scoring that goal pretty much every week, um, and he's back at it, scoring it again, picking up that space at the back stick. That, that's exactly what he needs to be doing from set pieces. So definitely good stuff that that the goals from corners keep on coming. Um, and then I touched on him already in in his overall performance, but. Only be good stuff that Kai Havertz, his goals keep on flowing. I mean, it, it's it's come to a point now where, yeah, I, I, I felt pretty confident when he ran through on goal there. Uh, and I really wouldn't have felt confident a few weeks ago. So I've seen numbers doing the rounds. Um, he he's, he's, His improvement in the last sort of three or four matches in the Premier League has just been astounding I, I don't think anyone really saw it coming but he, he's really found a role uh and then you know I, I i i don't really know what my explosive moment would be from this match i'm looking forward to hearing what your your twos might be uh but it probably very well could surround this man Declan rice i saw an argument for it on twitter earlier and 
I think it's pretty convincing. Declan Rice isn't only currently favourite to be Arsenal's player of the season. He's currently favourite to be the Premier League player of the season. And people keep on saying no one's talking about his price tag. You know what? People are talking about his price tag because he's one of few players in Premier League history who has been bought for a nine-figure sum and has truly shown that they are absolutely worth it. You you don't get many players like that in world football, and I'm I'm I want to I'm I'm proud of him and the club in making such a correct decision in terms of spending that kind of money. You see clubs like Chelsea spending 105 on Enzo, nearly 100 on Madrid, uh, United last season 100 million euro on on Anthony. We made sure when we spent big and finally entered that sort of market of spending big that it was going to work. And um, yeah, it's just £105 million ever so well spent. I fully agree, man. I mean, I I heard them talking about it on the Arscast actually saying, uh, James was saying that, yeah, he thinks that um, Declan Rice is, you know, has got to be a candidate for the the, the Premier League Player of the Year. And I, I mean, I genuinely couldn't agree more. If... He continues with performances like this. I think he will win it. And I think that if he has performances like this in the Champions League, we could even see this guy in the freaking uh, Champions League 11 of the, of the season. I mean, genuinely, I think this, this player is that good. Um, he is just such a terrific athlete. I love Declan Rice, man. He is just so obviously the replacement to Patrick Vieira that we've been longing for for such a long time. And it's crazy that I'm sitting here saying that about such a young player and you guys aren't even giving me any pushback at all you're like yeah no he is he absolutely is the replacement to one of the best arsenal players ever and i i I mean i don't know what what more i can say about the guy we call william saliba a rolls royce i think this dude's a cyber truck man because the the good old tesla that new weird truck thing have you guys seen that weird ass thing man um well first off that thing is a piece of shit apparently well okay fine the the idea of a cyber truck then because indestructible you just charge him and he's back on the pitch that's it yeah well he dude was the dude was legitimately vomiting like five hours before the match he and martinelli both had a shitty stomach bug and were freaking risen from their deathbeds to play, and both played quite well. But he played, you know, he gave us his typical 9 out of 10, which is absurd to say. But I mean, legitimately, yeah. He's, he's uh, so special, man. He's so special. So special. We, uh, you know, I love players like this. Um, longtime listeners of the show uh, will know that I loved uh, Nacho Monreal, was a guy I really loved, because it was just so consistent, always 7, 8 out of 10. But you're spot on there, Mac. Declan Rice is an 8, 9 out of 10. I've never seen a player like this <laughs> my whole entire time supporting Arsenal. He's so special. And then when you couple in the fact that he yeah. also has... St- Dude, he's got stop and shine winners against Luton and, and Manchester United under his belt. It's unbelievable. I think, I think the last time I, I saw a player for Arsenal delivering 8 and 9s out of 10 literally every week, I want to say it was Alexis Sanchez. I think he genuinely was doing that. But... The great thing about Declan Rice is that he isn't an asshole. Uh, whereas <laughs> Alexis Sanchez, so, very much. so true. Thank you for saying I mean, that. That does help. He, that does help me. He, like, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I'm running at superlatives for the man, but he is, yeah, perfect. So I'm gonna. 
pitch. It's just to work so well. It, it couldn't have gone any better his first few months at the club, could it? Genuinely not. And and Rob, I am going to touch a little bit on on what you said about Kai Havertz because um, I feel like one of the one of the lads in this uh, podcast group has really been backing him up the whole entire time. And fair play to him for doing so. Um, this guy looks like a totally freaking different player um, than than he first did when when he came in and he was struggling for confidence. The way Mac that he took that finish, I. I Arsenal does a really good job, by the way, their social media staff um, with posting every single goal as a short on YouTube, which I really like because I could just take the bite-sized content and watch a goal over and over and over again. Um, and their short really showed just how kind of like languid and composed Kai Havertz was when he took that shot. He knew that that was going to be the one that killed the game. And despite such a rocky start to life at first at Arsenal, he took that like the he was the most calm dude in the stadium, and I, I thought it was fantastic work from from Eddie, by the way, um, who I actually said in the chat did a very good job when he came on because I think what that game was missing was just someone to come on and keep it simple, and I think a lot of guys, namely Gabriel Martinelli in particular, um, was was. We were really overcomplicating things. And Eddie just came on and was like, no, no, we're just going to go forward and we just got to try to get that second goal easy enough. But anyway, um, Kai Havertz gets it, puts it into the back of the net. Spoiler alert, that's my explosive moment personally. Um, but yeah, Mac, um, wax lyrical about Kai Havertz because I'm going to be honest, brother, you've earned it. And then go ahead into your canon concerns while your spit guard's still hot too. Beautiful, mate. Um, I'll be honest, I'm actually going to keep it pretty simple. Um, I think so much of our early season discomfort with Arsenal had to do with their pace of play and, you know, their kind of cutting edge. They looked a little too slow, a little too lackadaisical, a little too overcomplicated, and they were out of confidence. And no player typified that more than Kai Havertz. And I think for me, just really the finish, the goal, it's all amazing. But to see him grow in confidence in the ways that he's been making his runs, the ways that he's been passing, linking up play, dropping into different areas, just the fact that he's really beginning to learn the kind of internal rotations of this team and his position within it, and is, you know, dropping into different spaces and filling holes and stepping high to hold up play and doing all of the things that, you know, at the beginning of the season were could do's or were he was bought because he has the potential to be this thing. He's starting to kind of step into a role where he's filling it. And I don't know. I think there's something beautiful about what I would call like a change of pace player. You know, that's not like if you look at a Gabriel Martinelli, everything he does is kind of head down and, you know, rhythmic and direct and quick. Um, it's all about that sharp intensity um, and if you look at a player like Kai Havertz, it's completely different. His strides are slower. He's a little bit more relaxed. He's not kind of as even rigid in his posture, the ways that he competes for things. Um, but I would, I, he weirdly, when he's confident, has similar energy to, to William Saliba in that Saliba is not the type of defender where 
you'll see him kind of sprinting and throwing himself into things. He glides. He's smooth. It looks like he's running five steps slower than everybody else, but he's always in the right place. It's the sort of instinctive side of the game it, and just kind of the gracefulness with which it works. And I think Havertz at his best possesses a grace that's very different, but that kind of exudes that same sort of quiet confidence of, I'm going to, you know, finish this chance. I'm going to make this pass. I'm going to have the turn. I'm going to link things up. I'm going to win this header. I'm going to do what I can to help this team. And it may not be the most vocal, although he has shown some fire. He's been scrapping with people. You know, he's been... He's been defending. I think that's a very underrated part of his game. I think he is actually a bit of a prick. Yeah. In a good way, by the way. And nope. And he, you know, he's definitely one who he's not been shy about flying into tackles and really kind of making himself felt with opponents, but just kind of seeing him utilize his skill set in a way that aids the team rather than kind of feeling disjointed, I think is the greatest thing. Just his chemistry with the rest of the squad. Um, I said I would keep it short. I didn't. Um, that's my Havertz rant. Also, a great finish. Great ball by Nketiah. I can't agree more about that pass as well. It's of sneakily very difficult. You know, it's on his strong foot. He's charging. He has space to pass into, but the weight is perfect. It It's right into Havertz's stride on his left for him to take the touch and finish. Um, really do, you know, do you know, do you want to hear a funny thing as well? Like, yeah, go ahead, <clears> Just before he scored this goal, mm-hmm. I was like so angry because... I hate it when Trossard does that thing that he did when he like, right. w- w- um, so he, it actually worked really well on this occasion, but when he collects the ball deep and like drives inside, I really yeah. hate it when he does that. <laughs> so I got really angry and then he plays a lovely disguise. It worked really well from Trossard in the end. So credit to him. Yeah. Uh, usually really Agreed. I was, I was actually going to, yeah. Yeah. Trossard had a good involvement in that goal too. Um, it's, it's so funny, but yeah. Havertz had also missed the header earlier and I was, there was a part of me that's just... Yeah, that like, was a big chance from Havertz. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we missed a lot of big... I don't think I can name a single player on our team that didn't miss or flub at least one chance this game. But, you know, for him for him to turn around... Have it wrong? Kind of, well, he, well, he had that one. The cross that he, like, fingertipped up into the air and caught oh, on yeah, the goal line. God. That one had me... Oh, God. It's otherwise very good, though, Raya. Yeah, no, he was. I I, I saw a tweet from somebody that was like, Why is it that David Raya defending crosses just becomes five foot six all of a sudden? And I couldn't agree more. Um, With that said, though, I, yeah, lovely. I think canon concern. I don't have too many concerns about this match, so I'm just going to list one that I've been talking about, but one that really does come to the fore. Ben White was very clearly playing with a knock. He had some good moments. His crosses weren't great, but especially in the second half and especially after he got that yellow, the team was kind of adjusting around him. Like we were sending Saka and Odegaard and Saliba and even Declan Rice out wide to make sure that we could limit Ben White's running and his engagements. And he still got beat pretty nastily for uh, the missed, uh, the, sh- the missed shot by Pascal Gross, the grab, my King. Um, I love Pascal Gross. I really do actually, but no, it's um, he was he was at fault, I think, for the biggest chances we conceded, Ben White. And it's because he's carrying a knock, but he also can't not play because he's the only fit right back we have at the club at the moment. Um, I don't count Cedric in that. And again, Roel Walters is a kid, and we know that against Brighton, um, Brighton actually did throw in their 18-year-old right back who's been their best striker for the past two weeks, weirdly. Kid's got a leap on him. 
but Hinshelwood, is that his name? Yeah, Hinshelwood. But, you know, throwing an, an entirely untested Royal Walters into this situation, I don't necessarily... I, I, it's not something I would want to see. But, yeah, I'd say Ben White's my canon concern just because I need him to be healthy, especially for this trip to Anfield, because uh, that's a scary one. So, yeah. Totally agree. And and he just he hasn't been at his high-flying best this season, really, at all. He just hasn't quite found his form yet. Um, I think it will come, though, because I think Ben White is a top player. And very similar to, to Declan Rice um, and, and Bukayo Saka in the way that he just kind of seems like an energizer bunny. You just He just always can keep on going. And I think it's just a matter of time, really, till he finds his footing and finds his form this season. Um, Rob, any good stuff? Or um, Kane of Concerns, I mean, we already did good stuff. Uh, yeah, I think um, heading into Anfield, uh, Zaka and Martinelli being so erratic in the way that they're finishing off moves, not even chances, is is worrying. Um, you know, those highlights of our first half at Anfield last last season came up on my timeline earlier. I see Martinelli with a you know a classic Martinelli goal to kick things off, and it's so scrappy, but he gets himself in in such a difficult situation to defend. And then the second goal, it's it's a pinpoint delivery to Jesus. I can't see Gabriel Martinelli doing that at the moment, um, and you know output isn't usually something I'm worried about with Saka, and maybe this was a bit of an off day. His finishing was wild. Uh, it's so unlike Saka on the day. I mean, all of our right-footed players, sorry, all of our left-footed players struggle to finish with their right. Like, yeah, it wasn't yeah. Saka. Odegaard, Odegaard had a few bad misses. I and, thought, yeah, yeah Odegaard had brutal. bad misses, but at least had a, a few on target. Um, he, he didn't yeah. keep spooning them over with his right. Yeah, I mean, oh. Odegaard, by the way, Odegaard was purring in this match at oh times. Oh, my God. Amazing. I mean, it's a testament to how well he's been playing lately that we've, we've barely touched on him. But this deeper role really has liberated him and we're, we're seeing things from him, which I'm not actually sure we've really properly seen from him in Arsenal shirt before. It's pretty cool. But back to the concern, yeah. Just these finishing boots. And I'm sure if you, you know, this isn't very original content. I'm sure if you listen to Ars- any Arsenal podcast, in the aftermath of this game, that will be what they they speak about in their in their sort of if they have a concern section or a stop falling section. They'll be touching on the finishing of our forwards and, and even the likes of Odegaard and and, and uh, yeah, Havertz missed that big chance as well. So yeah, not ideal that we're uh, not being in front of goal at the moment, but maybe we're waiting to cash in that XG next week. <laughs> <laughs> that is my canon concern too. Um, well, more or less. I, I don't like that we're just not taking advantage of our chances. And a big pet peeve of mine is, and I, I said this about fifty times in the chat during the game. I huge pet peeve is when players shoot it right at the goalkeeper, and they do so in a very tame, light. Fa- if you hammer it right at the goalkeeper and, and you get a corner out of it, that's fair enough. I can I could live with it, but I hate. When players have a shot from any sort of rage and they just put it right down the pipe because it's it's the basics, man. You just pick a corner. Honestly, I, I get less mad at once that go wide. Weirdly, I don't. So I don't know if that's a personal thing. I just hate when goalkeepers catch shots. You know, um, but that's this is two games in a row now, 
really, where the finishing has come into question. And I'm not huge on that because, you know, going to Liverpool, playing at Anfield, that's a place where basically you have to take your chances because I'm sorry to say, I know our defense is very good, but I'm quite confident that Liverpool are going to score at least one or two goals in that game, especially considering the fact that every time Arsenal and Liverpool play each other, it's like the opposite of Manchester United versus Liverpool. Arsenal versus Liverpool never, ever fails to be a total theatrical shit fest, whereas United versus Liverpool always uh, disappoints. But yeah, we just got to find our footing a bit on the finishing. I think that these uh, sort of performances don't do any favors for Gabriel uh, Jesus, even though he wasn't really the main one at fault, I don't think. But the casual yeah, fans yeah. are... You know what I'm saying? The the casuals, the, the people that don't support Arsenal, and then the Brazilians who hate that guy more than anything in the world are going to just jump onto his back and say, look, see, this is what happens. Arsenal had 20 shots and uh, only, you know, X amount were on target. Only two went to the back of the net. That's because Gabriel Jesus is their striker. And I don't think it's that 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 simple. I don't think it's that cut and dry because I think every player had a really hard time finishing. I also thought that with regards to finishing, we had a hard time with the final ball. I think that more so for me came down to Gabriel Martinelli, whose decision-making on the day, I have to say, was not good enough. Um, I'm not sure exactly what's going on with him at the moment. I don't know if maybe the the fact that he's playing so wide and uh, whenever he gets in there, maybe who knows, maybe he's absolutely you know, shattered. or who, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Maybe it's just all mental. But I, I want to see us improve on that. And, and I think... With this week to rest, I'd like to just see Arteta taking maybe those forwards out to the training ground for a bonus session and saying, back to the basics, man. Shoot. Put it on target. Pick out the corners. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm sure they do that kind of stuff already, but I just want to see a little bit more emphasis on it. I love a performance against Liverpool where we say, wow, we were firing hot. We were potent today, man. Our shots... We got corners out of them. We put them on target. We did what we had to do. We hit, the, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I just, I, I don't like this sort of uh, performance, really. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's really all. You, I, when, yeah, especially when you're facing potentially, you know, the, the greatest goalkeeper of all time in a, in a, in, a, in a week's time. Uh, you have to have your shooting boots on, and maybe it's yeah. just one of those things, just to, you know, bounce off some of the ideas that you had there. You know. I think more so than anything else in the game, apart from maybe penalties, finishing is psychological uh, in in that you, your confidence can just be blown in an instant. Um, and perhaps, you know, last week was just in the back of our minds a little bit and we just had to get over that hump. Um, hopefully those, those late goals will have, or, you know, the doubling our, our lead and walking away with now what looks like a, Pretty comfortable win will will nullify some of those issues, but yeah, I I totally agree with you, Daniel. I think it has to be something as simple as just getting those players on the training pitch and getting them putting it in the corner of the net. Yeah, and and I mean just to uh, piggyback off what you said too, there, Rob. I mean, yeah, if you shoot it straight down the pipe at Allison, you ain't getting a goal. That's it, you know. So so yeah, we absolutely have to be ready, be prepared. It's great that we have a week to do so. Um, I don't really have much else to say about this game, honestly. Um, I feel like we pretty much covered it quite well. Do want to just say, um, again, to reference myself in the chat, because I guess it's what I'm doing today. Um, 
Rob, you'll, you'll, you'll feel me on this one, man. Game recognizes game. I thought Lewis Dunk was absolutely fantastic in that match, man. I, I thought he was crazy. Like, he literally... I. It was like he had gravitational pull on the ball. Like, it would just always whack him. And then you look, oh, Brighton, you know, Brighton just mounted an attack. Who created it? Well, it was Dunk. I mean, I, I think that if this guy was a few years younger, man, I, I think some of the... Some of the high-level teams would be taking a look at him. I think his age doesn't too much. But great performance. Um, do you have to say that about uh, about Lewis Duncan? Yeah, uh, Brighton's a team I really respect a lot, man. I have to say I respect the shit out of, you know, going to the Emirates, playing your game, and not getting the socks knocked off of you. You know, because we've seen guys like PSV, you know, try to play their open style, and we just absolutely stuffed them. Brighton... They played their game. They tried to play out from the back, and they gave us a run for our money. You know, I think we were definitely the better team, but but they stayed in it throughout the entire match. So a lot of respect to Brighton, um, a lot of respect to Deserby. Um, him and Arteta, obviously, the two um, most hated little child coaches in the Premier League. <laughs> um, but, yeah, anything else to, to touch on with uh, regards to Brighton before we move on to the Champions League, boys? No, I think um, just recognizing, like, the importance of a win before Anfield, I think, especially after the Villa result, we needed some time to get our confidence back up, and a 1-1 draw at PSV was not necessarily the way to do that. Um, but also just recognizing the Liverpool result at the weekend, that Manchester United, you know, for all of their failings and for the fact that they played actually really terribly for 90 minutes... Um, went to Anfield, got a result, and most importantly, silenced the crowd. I think that that's going to be... It's always a big part of visiting Anfield. But truly, I think that just having a squad that's kind of confident and is... If they, if we did... If we do, can do to Liverpool what we did to Brighton in terms of suppression and really, you know, dominating the game and... Knowing Liverpool, it'll probably be Darwin Nunez or something who's going to just truck somebody over to try and get the crowd on his side. We know how they work, right? They are entirely not um, averse to a little bit of, of dark arts to... Oh, they to just really know how to... And, yeah, they know how to wake up that crowd, man. I mean, absolutely. you got to respect and, it, yeah. But, but it's, it's so interesting to see how crucial it is to them winning. Um, because in a game that, where their crowd really did not back them they looked flat and I, I just think it's going to be so key to, to do something similar when we get to Anfield. Um, yes. On to champions league. And also I, this is, you know, I'm just posing this live. I put this in the like general chat, but I'm not sure if either of you saw it, uh, any interest potentially in also having a like Ivan, Tony, Dominic Solanke winter signings discussion. Cause there's been news about that recently as well i think champions league first sure. of course but yeah yeah no but yeah definitely i, I think a, a, a striker discussion could be very interesting um in general let's uh yeah let's let's talk about the champions league rob um porto was our communal third choice if i remember correctly and the rankings so definitely could have been a heck of a lot worse by the way the jackpot prize goes to good old Mac Johnson for saying that Manchester City are 100% getting Copenhagen. He called that one, folks. Um, check that out in the last episode if you haven't heard it already. This guy's a freaking visionary. Um, yeah. I'm pretty pleased with it, uh, to, to be totally honest with you. Um, 
I said in the last episode, I think that uh, Porto and, and Lazio are kind of a toss-up for me in terms of the team I'd like to play the second most. So, I mean, shoot, dude, if we're playing them. Uh, in this round of 16 fixture, one, first of all, I think there's no excuses. I think we absolutely have to make it through to the next round. If we don't, it will 100% be a failure, uh, which I, which I think we discussed in the yeah we discussed in the last podcast. I think any of these guys that would have been the case, but with Porto, it really is. Um, but yeah, Rob, tell me your thoughts about the draw, and uh, we'll just chat about this for a few minutes again. The strikers, and, and we'll call it a day. Um, I will say that uh, from all the the reading, Twitter reading I've done about Porto today, uh, they sound like an exciting side uh, who play exciting football. Uh, the problem is uh, they play exciting football and, you know, I, maybe I will be eating humble pie in a few weeks after saying that's this, but they play exciting football in a relatively poor league um, in comparison to, you know, the, the rest of the big leagues in Europe. And we've seen these teams who play exciting football in uh, other other leagues in Europe come to the Emirates and, and, and get taught a bit of a lesson. So... Uh, I hope that they do come and play their football. It, it sounds like, uh, from as I say, everything I've read, they are the sort of PSV uh, ilk of team who are going to want to come to the Emirates and play a, a kind of way. Um, just sort of reiterating what I said on the the podcast that we did, uh, sort of looking at that, uh, looking at the draw. Um, I think that keep it tight away from home and make sure that we we get the goals at home uh that will surely be a, a good recipe for success yeah it's it's away from home it's got to be a, a sort of to the arsenal one nil performance and then i think at home you gotta you gotta really try to shred these sort of teams and again just take your chances man that's it and you know at, at the end of the day that's how the best teams win the champions like they do the they do the hard work at home and then away from home if you get a draw you're good you know if, as long as you win at home so uh mac any do you do you know uh, do you have any insights about porto or anything like that because i know somehow you know all these uh, weird things and anybody to to watch out for in particular or any concerns you have going into this match or a fixture i should say well no no um i mean I don't want to say I don't have concerns. They're a really good side. They play exciting football. Um, as mentioned, they, you know, one of their key players is still 49 million year old Pepe, who's bossing it uh, at center back for them. Um, the fact that we're going to have played against Sergio Ramos and yeah, Pepe and Pepe in, in this crazy. Champions League is pretty yeah. entertaining to me. But no, it's, 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 all, it's also pretty crazy. The, the last time yeah. Arsenal got to a quarterfinal in the Champions League, they played against Pepe <laughs> for right. Porto exactly. in 2010. No, <laughs> and, you know, Arsenal, we don't typically play well in Portugal, so it's going to be a tight a tight little middle window, but no, they've got talent. They've got some really exciting wide players in uh, Galeno and Evan Nielsen and uh, Francisco Concertiao. Um They have Steven Astakio, who's uh, a Canadian midfielder who I love. They have Medi Taremi up front and he is bossing um, the Portuguese league at the moment. He's big. He's physical. He's really difficult to play against. Um, As he just... has every single season of his career. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's he's a hometown boy. Um but yeah, I'd say 
they are a side to be respected, and they are not necessarily a side to be diabolically feared. Um, they are good, not great, but most important, they play a style that we are very good at exploiting. And if we can keep ourselves out of Pepe's clutches and specifically, you know, not succumb to whatever bullshit he tries to stick on us, because there will be some some rough challenges and some physicality, I think we should be all right. Um, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, this is foreign territory for us as a podcast, right? This is our first Champions League round of 16 in ages, and that's a round where we normally get pinned against someone pretty ridiculous. And um, yeah, the Champions League draw is interesting. Uh, no real kind of superstar matchups, which... I don't know if I if I appreciate or dislike just based on the whole, you know, I would like it for some good teams to maybe consider eliminating one another before they play us. But at the same time, I think Porto is kind of a perfect test, as we talked about in the last podcast. It's a big away day. They play expensive football. They are fun, but they are also eminently beatable. And I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm just excited, man. Really, above all, I'm excited. Yeah, that, that uh, no, I'm, I'm, that I'm last state. That last eight, by the way, that the core fi- uh, the yeah. core finals, they could be tasty. They could be <laughs> There's not, if if all the favourites go through, we are not having an easy. <laughs> there's no there's match. no fun for the quarterfinals. <laughs> like, yeah, man, I, I really did get lined up. I, I mean, to be fair, that just comes from who won the group. I mean, we we listed all the teams that we could potentially play against, and I mean, Inter and PSG. It feels like you're still kind of grasping at straws. You know, it feels like every season you kind of have some some high-level team not win their group, and it, that just didn't really happen this time. This time around, the best teams won the group. Well, well no, less, it, you know? it, it did, because PSG got second and then proceeded to draw fucking Sociedad. So, like, it's <laughs> they've gotten the only not... I, gu- I guess I forgot about them, team. yeah. Listen, Real Sociedad are a very good team, and I actually think they will give PSG problems, but... um. I, I could see him. I don't know what I, it is. I feel like I could see him knocking him out. I think that would be hilarious, they've, man. They've been unbelievable this year, and it would be so PSG. At the same time, uh, they're not. Like, they're good, but PSG are going to win that. I, I think I'm I'm pretty confident in saying that. Yeah, yeah. Me too. But all eyes on future star, uh, uh, future Arsenal star, Zuba Mendy, of course. Um Speaking of future Arsenal stars, don't, don't I think, forget about Kieran yeah. Tierney back there. Arsenal loney. Was well, he like dead or something? Though <laughs> I, I, mean, like... I did think he was still injured, but yeah. Hey, come Wait, on, he's just, in, he, he's just in Spain developing for a season. Yeah, and yeah, come yeah, back. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, right. How could I? Yeah, how far? How could I forget? Um, I got nothing else really to say about Porto because I don't know a great deal about them. All those dudes that Mac Johnson just said, I don't know who the hell any of them even are. Um, so we're going to move on from that and get into a quick little uh, striker I re- discussion. I reckon you'd, I reckon you'd yeah, recognize yeah. Taremi. Taremi's the Iranian striker. Uh, like I, I would know him if I saw him for yeah, sure. Yeah, Big, big guy that, yeah. Because I was actually going to make a comment where I was going to say, it seems like Porto just always have a big striker that dominates in, in the league only, basically. It's probably just been the same guy forever, right? More or less. I mean Yeah, it was it was him and they had I think they I think they had Vincent Abubakar for a season or two as well. Okay, that that, that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was yeah, a do, it, do you remember they Remy partnership. It was that Colombian striker they had back in the day. I always used to sign, uh, sign Jackson, him off. Jackson. Yeah. 
What uh, was his first not, name? Not, it's it's not Nicholas. It's um, oh. well, shit. He went to Atletico, and then he it was uh, Jackson Jackson Martinez. Jackson Martinez. Jackson Martinez. Yeah. Jackson Martinez. Elite on FIFA. I love big career Martinez, mode bro. Big career oh, mode. I, I think it was actually linked last night. Yeah, he he was the year he made his Atletico move, and then went to China, which is where he should end up. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I don't uh, think he was that good, right? He he had like three great seasons. He was the most vibes based player I've ever encountered. Like he would just do shit and it would work. It's it's yeah. Anyway, see this is what you don't get on yeah. other podcasts, ladies and gentlemen. You don't get random chat about. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, a few twenty something just talking crap about guys that used to be good in FIFA and FIFA alone. Dude, shout out to the best ever FIFA Ultimate Team front three. Dumia, Gervinho, and uh, Ibarbo. Or Ahmed Musa when they all played for oh, uh, Cisco Ahmed Moscow. Musa, yeah. if, if you yeah. remember that team. Yeah. Oh, Shit, we're in the weeds, boys. Good times. <laughs> Good times. Good times. Anyway, uh, Rob, speaking of strikers, um, I did not hear anything great about. Great ball. Great ball to, yeah, to myself. Um, I didn't hear anything about this whole Solanke situation, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Because I don't have a great deal. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about this Solanke uh, potential <laughs> signing? And I know, I know so, you like the idea of Tony, but yeah, Solanke has been good in the Premier League since he's come up with Bournemouth. Uh, I saw this um, like comparison earlier in the in the day, and I, I just can't shake it. Arsenal signing Dominic Solanke would be akin to Real Madrid signing Hosselu. Um It's it's just that that kind of vibe. Um, I or United f- with Odiana Gallo. <laughs> yeah, or even uh, bloody Veghorst. Um But I actually think. If, if what we're looking for is just a direct replacement on Eddie, I don't hate the idea. Um, but I just think the I optics, just, I, uh, I, the, I just the think we have good. to. No. The optics aren't good. Um, we should be aiming higher. Uh, we're realistically looking for someone who, if not improves on Jesus we don't get worse when he comes into the team or he offers something so impressively different that we can play a, a slightly different way um yeah I mean if, if you're picking between the two it's it's day and night you have to go for Ivan Tony um the rumors about the Tony deal the structure of it baffle me a little bit um if it's true add that Brentford really are entertaining the idea of a of a loan with obligation. If I'm Thomas Frank, I'm walking. Um, like it would just be baffling that not only have they lost a goalkeeper who statistically was one of the best in the league last season and given him away for pennies. Uh, if they did the same for the their centre forward, who was the second highest scorer in the Premier League last season, as a manager, I, I would be lost for words, especially since. You know, they, they've coped ever so well in his absence. They should be doing everything to hang on. Um, it sounds like we are going to go gun-ho for a striker in January and good on the club for wanting to do that. Um, but I think I've made clear on my podca- on this podcast before who I think 
uh, we should be going for in terms of uh, the striker, and that's Victor Osimhen. I don't think that will be possible in January. Uh, and it's one of those. Um, you have to weigh up whether you can wait or whether you can whether you can afford to wait. I think perhaps we've made a mistake in waiting in, in the past, even though it did result in, in getting Jesus. You know, I think if we did pull the trigger on someone, we would have got top four. It's it's a delicate one. Um, but this club have shown on many occasion in recent years, they're not going to sign the wrong man. Um, so, yeah, I have faith that they'll make the right decision with this one. Yeah, Mac, you, I, I'm not sure if I see anything. And the Solanke one, to be totally honest, I think it's, I mean, I, so what I was reading is it's like a sort of, oh, just in case they don't get Ivan Tone. I think we probably would if we just went for, you know what I mean? I I think that would just be a deal that gets done because I think we have a good relationship with Brentford and the player would want to come. So I think if we do genuinely go for him, then it would probably happen. I I think it's complicated though, because English football rules state that you cannot loan two players from the same club to another club, right? So that technically at the moment we have David Raya on loan for us to loan in Ivan Tony is against the rules. So in order to get him, we would, right. have, to at least, we would have to permanently sign David Raya. We're going to do that anyway. But the concern was the deal was structured so that we could essentially dump that 27 million signing onto next year's FFP regulations instead of this season's. Uh, because apparently we're walking a little bit of a tightrope there. So we would have to have some outgoings in order to afford anything. But um, yeah, I think I like Tony. I don't love him. In terms of Dominic Solanke, Bournemouth want 50 million. I think Bournemouth are kidding themselves. Um, but it's also weird. All of the rumors around it, all of the tweets have been like the same phrasing. Like, I don't know if you guys are tuned, in, tuned into the F1 world. But there's been like drama with the F1 Academy series, which is a women's racing series sponsored by F1 and run by Susie Wolf, who's the wife of Toto Wolf, who runs the Mercedes team. And basically all the teams were like posted the exact same screenshot at the exact same time of like or statement, I should say, of like we did not, you know, ac- accuse anybody of insider trading. It was like verbatim the same thing. And every tweet I've seen about it is like, ah, yes, the big wigs. And that's the specific word. The big wigs at Arsenal want Dominic Solanke as an Ivan Tony like replacement. And I don't know how much credence to put in the rumor. I think I like Dominic Solanke. I think he is very specifically an unbelievable front post finisher, which would do really well for our style of cutbacks and the way we like to create chances. But with the exception of that, I just don't like him as a player. Like, I'll be honest. He's a good goal scorer. He's a good striker. He's Premier League quality. He's taken a while to get there. Um, but I just, I don't, he doesn't fit our system. I don't like his hold-up play. I don't think he's a good a good fit. Frankly, I don't think Ivan Tony's a very good fit. I think I'm kind of with Rob on the Aussie Manor bus perspective, and I think that has to happen in the summer, not just because of the financial regulations, but like, I think striker is like fourth on the depth list of what I want for this window. I think the most uh, it's important thing. not my thing, first either. Yeah, I agree. The most important thing in my estimation would be a deeper lying midfielder to make sure we don't have to rely on Thomas Partey in the stretch. Um, my second option would vary immediately after that if we don't get one, be a defender, specifically a wide defender, because Timber is on an uncertain timeline. There's been 
shouts that he might come back against Palace in January, I think those are ludicrous. I think it'll probably be closer to February. So, um, and worried slowly about at that, by the way, exactly, it's not, you know, he's not going to be phased yeah. in, right? We're still relying on an injury prone Tomiyasu and a currently injured Ben White, and we could just use another body for the run in. So, yeah, but I, 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 I do see if it is striker, I get it because but I, I understand it, just it's you we can't watch our last yeah. two games and not think, oh, if we can go out and spend, if we can get a good deal for Tony, yeah, guy who's proven he. Like you can say all, all you want about him potentially not fitting Mac, but he was the second. It would help best best scorer in the league last season. He's gonna yeah. get you ten his goals. Numbers, I I find his numbers. I know really they're inflated by penalties, by penalties but I, but I, I also think he's an unbelievable finisher with his head, with both feet. He's clinical. He's a hellish to play against, and I also think he offers a threat that's really similar to Kai Havertz in terms of he is one of the best. Aerial hold up, pin a defender and let the team flow past you. Transitional forwards that I've ever seen play. Um, he's got a really rare physical archetype that allows him to kind of contribute on long balls high up the pitch. That you know, he he kind of has a similar mentality to someone like Mikel Antonio, where he's very comfortable with just like chasing scraps and pressing high and being physical. What he has over Antonio is the ability to just bring a ball in and kind of bring his teammates in. So I again, I'm a big Ivan Tony fan. I just don't I think we are at the point where kind of in some ways I find the needs of our squad have slightly outstripped him, if only because he would be he would still I be totally agree as well. He would yep. still be ridiculously expensive. And for me, signing Tony almost per, like precludes a signing of someone like Victor Ossiman in the summer. And yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally so. agree with that. If we have, and, and we'll know because um, you know we've spoken with Ozymand's agent before. We'll know we if we're. Yeah. We, we'll know if we're in the money there. Um, so I wouldn't want uh, a naive move to to maybe <clears throat> get us a title this season. Scupper a move for a player who could genuinely deliver Arsenal titles for the next half a decade he's he's you know he's that kind of profile and and figure within the game uh so yeah we we have to act in january um we have to sell first and foremost to be able to buy uh i'm hearing that it's ramsdale and you know i'm not an itk but from what i've read on twitter is ramsdale who's gonna go and then one more i have a feeling that could be eddie um so yeah we'll, we'll wait and see who, who goes yeah i think with with both ramsdale and eddie it's yeah i, I think we could get good money for both of them probably about hey, 60, there, there's yeah there's keep there's keepers getting injured left right and center arsenal must be licking their lips absolutely you know because ramsdale's at least i i, I think even arsenal i think we're gonna get prep i think we will sell ramsdale this um this January source, trust me, bro. Um, and I, I think we'll probably get about 60 million pounds for him, honestly. And, and we're, we'll be able to look back at that and say, right, we just doubled. I mean, we doubled the, doubled the money from him, you know? Um, and I think that's a good thing. That's how a big club has to run, how a big club has to operate. Then Eddie and Ketia, man, Eddie and Ketia is at least a 20, 25 million pound striker easily. So 
And, and he might even be more than that. I mean, in Mate, today's if day, we, age, if we got thirty-five for Balogun, I think I guess I'm, you're right. I'm, I'm looking yeah, at a similar true. price, if not more, for Eddie and Ketia. I mean, shit. Uh, actually, Mac, if you're saying Solanke's uh, fifty million, maybe if, I'm if looking at Dominic six million. Fifty million. <laughs> I think I'm probably asking for forty-five yeah. for Enketia. Yeah. So that would uh, be think, that would be my preference. If if you know a Tony deal is possible, that wouldn't be too financially burdening for us if we could maybe chuck Eddie in as as as, as a sweetener. But who knows? Um, I know there's a, a certain. Oh, I think he'd certain... ball at Brentford. He would do so well there. Yeah. That said, I would love to get some of that rice money back off West Ham. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, true. I think he'd do well at either of those teams, too, to be fair, Eddie. I, I think he's just in a, in a place where he kind of needs to step down a couple and, and show that he has a very good record. Not quite at the level of Arsenal, but he's a good player. And I think he, he deserves to have a good career. Um, yeah, I think, honestly, for, for strikers, I have to second what both of you guys said. Kick the can down the road a bit for me. Wait for OC Man in the summer. I don't understand what the point is of not going out and getting the best. I think we need a guy to come in that makes Gabriel Jesus go, oh, shit, this guy is coming in to steal my spot. And then a Bukayo Saka to say, oh, shit, Gabriel Jesus can play on the right wing. And maybe even Martinelli say, oh, shit, Gabriel Jesus and uh, Saka could probably do a job on the left wing. And Osimen would provide that sort of pressure onto the other forwards. I don't think Tony really. If Tony comes in, I think Jesus will probably still start, honestly. Um, I, I would be more intrigued. A, a, Mac, a, a, a position you left out there was actually a winger. Um, I think that if well, I said that I was had, probably your third. I, I, right? I said I had three above, and that was the yeah. third. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, I, so I've, there, that's yeah. I've 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 re re I've tinkered with that opinion a little bit, if only because I believe in Reese Nelson. And well, we can believe I'm, Reese Nelson all we want. I don't think Arteta does. No, but I think I believe in Reese Nelson more than I believe in Eddie and Ketia. Um, in terms of so straight to the point from Dan. No, it's true though. It's true. You're right, but it's. It, it, it's it's unfortunate, I think. Um, with that said, no, I, I I would honestly probably put striker on the priority list above personally. But I think for the squad, sure. I think Arteta is more likely to buy a winger. Yeah, yeah, no. It's, it's regardless. It's going to be an interesting January, and we we've got to get something done. I mean, absolutely. That's that's been an issue uh, over the past couple of years. Is you know, there's. There's been areas in the squad that we have to strengthen, and we fail to do so, and it comes back to bite us. Um, uh, sadly, I do think that center mid and, and defender kind of do have to take priority just because of the injury. I'd like to see us strengthen the squad, but I think we more so have to worry about just solidifying it and, and just making sure we maintain that strong spine going into the rest of the season because that's how you win trophies. And... Um, Hey, um, yeah, City are out, out of the title race. Maybe uh, Arteta can True. use this good relationship with, with Pep. To, they've got a pretty good Norwegian striker. You know, maybe a, a cheeky loan deal, six months. I was going to say, I think I might honestly take the Argentinian above the Norwegian, but that for you know for future no, purposes we, we can't we can't take another jesus <laughs> no that's true well alvarez can finish if there's one thing he can fucking do that dude's unbelievable 
Well, speaking of finishing, that's the way we're going to finish this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yes, now. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> these, um, these segues have been unreal today. They've been so good. Class me, hosting so good. performance from Daniel. Top class. Oh, cheers. I've, I've, I've just been watching so much Declan Rice, man. I'm just learning how to really specialize in transitions like the Cybertruck I am, which apparently is a terrible vehicle. Um, I, I had no idea. I watched uh, but, I watched Marcus Brownlee on a podcast. Talk I, I gotta watch on, that. I gotta watch on, that video on, on clips today. So yeah, <laughs> very good. It's it's very weird looking too. So um, anyway, speaking of weird looking, um, no, let's let's draw this bad boy to a close. Uh, coming back to the seagull himself, the man, the myth, the legend, with the versatile name, Rob Bertha. Marketing opportunity of a lifetime. Sorry, sorry for the long pause, ladies and gentlemen. I was looking for a song because I'm, I'm actually going to deliver today. Oh, what a legend! Um, <clears throat> marketing opportunity of a lifetime. I keep lying to you. I haven't written yet, but this week I am pretty free, so maybe I'll write. Uh, I'm not going to promise anything today, but um, instead, go go follow my my socials, AFC Blogger Forty Nine on on the good old twitter or x whatever you want to call it um and yeah the rest of the the we love you arsenal family of of social media pages tiktok instagram the website go check it all out yes sir indeed 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 mac johnson okay possible not much my friend um i have very little in market uh other than the fact that just to just to, to to sit back and to to recognize where we are you know this is this is a season of firsts for this podcast for for the folks that are on it um i think you know it's the first time more than 3 of us have been out of school since we started all of this it's the first time we're talking about the champions league whether in group stages and knockout stages and whatever it might be it's you know the first time that we've been in a title race really since we've challenged for a title and actually seen the possibility of daylight you know last year daniel and i were talking about this in the ppc and you know the legal terms that come with that term um but daniel and i were talking about just how it's it, it's been an up and down roller coaster but how kind of last season's emotions have have influenced you know this season how we've come in i think with a little more pessimism it's not a runaway train we all experiences as a club as fans of it the the bitter disappointment of flying high and then being crushed and i think we've we've all come out of it both you know our team and the way that we look at things a little more solid a little more pragmatic um but yeah just i i I would like to take the time to address that we are we're doing some pretty incredible things at arsenal football club alfie posted a graphic in the chat um, with some expected goals for and against tiers. And in the past 10 games, we've pretty much been the best team in the league, if not in the world, by a significant margin. So yeah, um, shout out to us for for trusting the process and to, to getting to where we are now. Um, that is my marketing opportunity of a lifetime because I have little that's new or original, but I'm still happy to be where I am. Fair enough, me too. I'll just second what Ichi has said. Shout out to what Max just said. Arsenal's probably basically the best team in the world at the moment, and we don't even sound super biased saying that. 
opposition fans can hate it as much as they want by that. It's just the reality of it. Um, whether or not we take advantage of it and win an elite trophy this season is to be determined. Is obviously, Zerbi said it in his freaking post-match press conference. I mean, he was like, know, "We're not, we're not used to teams playing well against us, and they, they, they are." Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Uh, Deserby, obviously the future Man City manager, as as we've all heard uh, uh, recently as well. I don't know if you guys got that report. Um, but yeah, and then obviously the website as well. Uh, we love you, Okay, Leave a review on the podcast wherever you do listen to it and share it with all your cool uncles. And then some British guy that's on the show with me that I've been calling Siegel the entire time has to say something that we always say at the end of the show. We need a song. Um, and considering the theme of this podcast today has been control, uh, we're going to go basic and it's going to be controller by Drake. Uh, so I was hoping that I love that song. It's probably going to be playing whilst I'm speaking right now because you know, we're all such editorial geniuses. Bye. Bye. My AI just changed It just buzzed the front gate I thank God you came How many more days could I wait? I made plans with you And I won't let them fall through I, 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 I think I lie for you I think I die for you Jodeci cry for you Do things when you want me to like controller, controller, yeah. Like controller, controller, yeah. Okay, you like it when I get aggressive. Tell you to yeah. go slower, go faster. Like controller, controller, yeah. Like controller, controller. And I'm never on a wasting shawty I do it how you say you want it Them girls, they just wanna take my money They don't want me to give you nothing They don't want you to have nothing They don't wanna see me find your loving They don't wanna see me Smiling back when they pre-knowing I lie for you Thinking I die for you Jodeci cry for you Do things when you want me to Like controller, controller yeah. Like controller, controller Y'all are tear off me garments And I'm all for coming to me apartment The girl them on the length and strength Action, speak louder than argument Well... But you can't just listen, come tell me I'm sorry You can't listen to me talk and go tell my story nah. It don't work like that when you love somebody My old flex is my new flex now and we're working on it Yeah, And that's why I need all the energy that you bring to me my last girl would tear me apart, but she never wanna split a thing with me. But when it comes to you, you, I think I lie for you. I think I die for you. Do things when you want me to, like controller, controller, yeah, like controller.
controller Yeah And I'm never on a wasting Charlie I do it how you say you want it Them girls, they just wanna take my money They don't want me to give you nothing They don't want you to have nothing They don't wanna see me find your loving They don't wanna see me Smiling back when they breathe Zaga.